When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital... This is Bloomberg Sound On. I have said since January 6th that I will do whatever it takes to ensure Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office. And I mean it. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If there was an invitation to participate, I would consider it. You will be accountable to us. You will answer to us. And you will do what is in our best interest. And if you don't, We will fire you. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, the Fed says eventually they're going to have to slow down on interest rate increases. We'll have to talk about when that is. Congresswoman Liz Cheney won't rule out a presidential run after her anti-Trump primary loss. The CDC also acknowledged big mistakes in their coronavirus response. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, standing in today for Joe Matthew. We're going to talk to Congressman French Hill, a Republican on the Financial Services Committee in the House, about the state of the economy. We'll ask Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman, about the state of the Republican Party. And Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shinzano will help me analyze the top news of the day. Well, the minutes from the Fed's late July meeting, July 26 and 20. Say they're going to keep increasing the policy rate and then slow down at some point and reassess. We're joined now by Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. The congressman is on the Financial Services Committee, a great go to for banking issues. Congressman, very happy to have you on here. Uh, First basic question about the Fed minutes that came out today Do you read these as airing on either the hawkish or dovish side? Well, Jack, it's good to be with you. I think they just reinforce that they're serious to get back to focusing on price stability and defeating inflation. I think that's the important mission that they have. And I took uh, the minutes to mean they're going to keep at it. Uh, And look, when we saw inflation uh, still high at 8.5 percent, we've seen reports of higher economic output in some sectors of the economy, slower in others but nonetheless high inflation for input points and also on salaries and compensation still going up. So I I took it as they're staying on mission. 
uh, for their tightening plan. The the minutes acknowledged a risk, this is a quote, a risk that the committee could tighten the stand of policy by more than necessary to restore price stability. Uh, what are the risks at this point of a recession? I think the data is very mixed. I don't see that uh, risk fully uh, apparent yet. I think we're getting mixed reports on hiring, still very strong in most sectors of the economy, and yet we had the the weak first and second quarter. Uh, But early data here in the third quarter continues to show some signs of growth, and that's why you have growth, you have uh, decent employment numbers, you have high inflation, and that's why my instinct is that they'll continue to press on both with uh, shrinking the balance sheet and uh, a rate increase in the next month. And what is your view on the timing of this? These, these minutes were a bit vague. The phrase they used was uh, it would become appropriate at some point to slow the pace of policy rate increases. What What is at, at some point to you? At some point to me, when we start seeing sharply lower inflation expectations, uh, even in the survey data last week when uh, you looked at inflationary expectations, it was still at 6.2% for one year out. Uh, that's three times uh, the Fed target of 2%. Actual inflation still in at four times the Fed's target rate. So that's what makes me think that they'll stay uh, in a tightening mode here over the next uh, uh, between now and the end of the year. Right. Do you have a history lesson for us? Should Are there historical parallels that you think they're looking at? Or, or, uh, or is it fair to say these are unprecedented times? Well, it's different. We have stagflation. Uh, we have commodity price shocks uh, due to the Biden administration's policies on fossil fuels and Russia's invasion in Ukraine, which has impacted the food, uh, fiber, and fuel markets in a negative way. But we have this strong employment market, and we still have help-wanted signs all across the country. So it's a mixed message on that, but it, it, it causes me to be biased toward uh, higher rates. And they don't, they're behind the curve, Jack. That's the main point. The main history lesson here is that the Fed did not take the punch bowl away in time to prevent embedded, stubborn inflationary expectations. And fiscal policy was far too stimulative coming out of the pandemic. Right. Uh, Well, so you mentioned the stimulative fiscal policy, fossil fuels, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, How much is a major X factor? How how much is there just confusion on what supply constraints will exist due to the pandemic and international responses to the pandemic? Well, we've seen container prices uh, begin to shrink. We've seen, uh, like you just had a news report on some chip improvements vis-a-vis deliveries of technology projects. projects. So I think that some of the supply constraints that was related to the pandemic are healing themselves, and so that will help uh, be a counter uh, to some of these continued inflationary pressures on the compensation side and sharp increases in in, um, uh, some issues like, as I said, food and fuel. And fuel, don't forget, with fossil fuels being such a critical input factor, I don't see that Uh, falling, and therefore you're going to continue to have uh, input costs much higher than they were a year ago. 
Okay. Now, the uh, the minutes also mention some concern over digital assets like stable coins uh, that they say are, are subject to runs and fire sales and excessive leverage. Uh, do you take that as a, a nudge from the Fed uh, f- toward Congress uh, with an eye toward uh, clearer regulations at all? I think clearer regulations related to digital assets would be helpful, and I think a good start to that would be a very carefully crafted bipartisan stable coin uh, piece of legislation that would define stable coins being used for payment purposes, define what a good one is, which would bring certainty to the regulatory system, provide clarity for consumers and users. So I'd be supportive of that process. And uh, we have work being done with the administration and with Congress on that important point. I think it was brought home. Uh, by the sell-off in digital assets over the last few weeks. I, I also want to ask, I know you've been participating, uh, there's the Vincent Fintech Summit in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, can you tell us at all about what's what's happening in your home state to either attract business or develop, uh, help startups develop? What's going on in the, the world of fintech uh, businesses in your home state? Well, here in Arkansas, we just had the uh, Fin Fint Summit, uh, where we had 500 people from around the world here showcasing their fintech innovations. Uh, this has been anchored by Fidelity Information Systems, FIS, and the Independent Community Bankers of America, ICBA, both of which have selected Little Rock as their cornerstone uh, center uh, for fintech innovation. And it was an exciting conference, and it's a big part of our effort in Arkansas to create a more dynamic economy with a faster growth rate. We think fintech is absolutely at the center of that. And Arkansas has a longstanding 50-year relationship with financial technology innovation. So this is sort of our mission, uh, Jack, to uh, meet Steve Case's effort to have the rise of the rest where the flyover states uh, step up and do their part to create a more dynamic economy that's not on the east or west coast. And when you say create a more dynamic economy, is this, I guess, to what extent are your goals attracting businesses that currently exist in other states, or is this more of a startup incubator kind of thing? Uh, How do you balance those two approaches to startups beginning in Arkansas? Are you trying to get people to relocate to Arkansas? It's a key point. You know, I've always felt that uh, startups were a way to grow your own success stories. And so of the hundred uh, companies that have gone through Fidelity Information Systems Incubator Accelerator Program over the last uh, seven years, 10 have uh, located here in Little Rock and are growing here in Little Rock with one recent announcement yesterday. So I think it's important to do both. We have a dynamic environment that attracts outside companies and outside employment, but I think it's critical for us to increase our economic growth rate uh, by doing that, by growing our own right here in central Arkansas. I've got to ask, because this has obviously been a major thing in the news recently, it, whether it's maybe it's more relevant to attracting outside companies, but a state like Arkansas with an abortion ban that went into effect uh, doesn't have exceptions for rape or incest uh, just about across the board ban in Arkansas. Does that create um, difficulties for the state to attract employers that might want to come there and, and attract employees? Jack, it's a good question. I haven't seen any evidence that it has. That's something that the legislature, of course, will deal with uh, in its first uh, regular session. 
following the Roe decision, which will uh, convene in January. But no, I've not seen it raised, and we had 500 people from around the world uh, visiting Little Rock as a business location and an accelerator location this week that seems to indicate we've got, we're doing something right here on the business front. One other big picture question. I've got to ask you about Liz Cheney uh, losing her primary, not ruling out the idea of running for president. What uh, What is Liz Cheney's place in the Republican Party and in American politics right now? Well, Liz Cheney has served the people of Wyoming, and they made another decision yesterday to uh, send her back to the private sector and uh, have her leave her service in Congress. She has a track record as a conservative policy expert on national security and uh, is devoted to this country. But look, running for president requires the nomination of a political party, and the Republican Party has to uh, find consensus around that candidate. And right now, with that defeat in Wyoming, I think that challenges Liz Cheney's ability to find that consensus in the Republican Party in the near term uh, to be nominated uh, for president. Congressman, thank you so much. Really helpful to to talk state of the economy, state of the Republican Party. That's Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. Uh, We'll see you when you come back to D.C. in September. Uh, We're going to talk a little later to Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman. Coming up, though, we've got to have our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano. I've got to see what they think about this CDC mea culpa on mistakes made responding to the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky with a bit of an indictment of her own agency's response in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, These are her words, and this story has a lot of detail on the Bloomberg Terminal. She said, to be frank, we are responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes from testing to data to communications. Uh, We've got to discuss this more with our panel. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg Government sitting in for Joe Matthew today. We've got Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano with us to discuss this. Uh, The CDC said today uh, to employees they're going to impose changes 
aimed at replacing its insular academic culture uh, with one that's supposed to be quicker to respond to emergencies. Uh, What does that mean? That means more quickly turning research into health recommendations, working with other parts of the government, uh, and improving the way CDC communicates with the public. Guys, I I want to at least start with the basics here. Uh, Maybe communication with the public is the easiest to identify. Uh, What did, did the CDC do wrong? What do we know about what they need to improve? Rick, let's start with you. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the director, Rochelle Walensky, is a well-known person in the media these days, right? I mean, she played an important role in communicating to the public about uh, uh, COVID and, and I think sort of gets the fact that uh, the CDC uh, probably has been confusing, uh, if not lack of transparency uh, throughout the course of this. And, and, and has focused on communications as one of the big reforms. In fact, it was one of the, the few things that are actually going to uh, have a revamp at the staffing level uh, versus, you know, some of these policy changes you mentioned, Jack. So, um, you know, I, I just I see this as sort of a, 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 a decision in a vacuum. I mean, at the same time, she's talking about doing this. Uh, the, the, there's been a new assistant secretary for preparedness created in HHS. How's that work? Um, you know, no comments really. Uh, I've seen in the reporting about uh, some of the confusing interface between FDA and CDC that has created some of these communication problems. So I, I think we're going to watch this very closely, but they've got a long way to go before I think the American public's going to you know, renew their confidence in the CDC. Now, one thing I think is an obvious example in the communication that is cited pretty frequently is the uh, back and forth on their guidance uh, as to whether people should wear masks. At the very beginning of COVID, it may have been March 2020. Uh, I don't know if that's the only issue they had. Obviously, there was the whole vaccination campaign with mixed results across the country. Jeannie, what stands out uh, that they need to, the CDC needs to fix when they're looking back at their response to COVID? Uh, you know, it's critically important that Dr. Walensky did this. And, and obviously, the experience during COVID exacerbated what has been a tremendous and long-term problem at the CDC. A lot of people today are citing as an example, going back to the Ebola de- epidemic and some of the problems there in, in, in around 2014. But you can go back even further than that. And you just mentioned some of the issues. You know, the, the masking and the mitigation measures, the public messaging on that was very confusing. Um, in terms of data being released too late to inform decision-making, critically important that they fix that. They were releasing flawed testing to public health labs. I mean, the extent of the problems you could go on and list. I have to tell you, Jack, and for you as somebody who follows Congress so closely, I think two of the most important changes that they're talking about making that I think are terribly important deal with Congress. Number one, Congress getting allowing uh, the CDC to have some powers to mandate jurisdictions share their data. This isn't a mandate. They've relied on, you know, the goodwill of localities, counties, and states to release data voluntarily. That is not good in a federal system. If Congress can fix that, that would be critically important. And also flexibility on funding. The CDC is dealing with about 150 individual budget lines. The earmarks that are going out there for the CDC make it hard for them to respond quickly to a public health emergency. And again, when you look at Ebola, people were saying they couldn't even get some of their experts
experts on the ground because they didn't have the budget lines to pay for flights to get them there. Those kinds of fixes with Congress would go a long way. And I agree with you and Rick on certainly the messaging as well. Well, all right, that's a lot that they can fix. Uh, To look at the other side of the coin, is there any significant extent to which this uh, mea culpa is the CDC taking the blame from former President Trump? Rick, how much how much is this the CDC taking the blame when at the time in the early days, the president was saying that the virus would go away magically? Yeah, I obviously the post Donald Trump, there have been a lot of examinations of what the White House uh, influence on the CDC uh, did to actually uh, exacerbate the the, the COVID uh, uh, public health emergency, and 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 I think part of what the way I read the uh, announcements that um, uh, Director Walensky uh, put out today is that it's it, they're kind of looking past that right. There's some mention of the 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 difference between. Um, uh, permanent staff who have been there for decades, and 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 political staff who were only there for you know sometimes right. months at a time, and the but that's in every agency of government that is not exclusive to CDC. But they did seem to sort of blow past, you know, some of the turmoil that the Trump White House was created both at right. you know uh, HHS and CDC. On that note, I'd also note uh, Politico reports a group of House Democrats are calling on President Biden to use the Defense Production Act on the monkeypox vaccine. Coming up, we're going to talk to Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman on the state of the Republican Party. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. As I said, Liz Cheney lost her her, uh, House primary re-election bid to a uh, a member uh, backed by former President Donald Trump in a very high-profile Trump versus anti-Trump race. And Cheney did not uh, rule out a presidential run. There's quite a bit of uh, – uh, I'm very curious as to what else she does. Is it a super PAC, a nonprofit? What exactly will Liz Cheney's role be in the Republican Party? We're joined now by Michael Steele, former RNC chairman. He was RNC chairman from 2009 to 11. Uh, would go on to be quite critical of former President Trump and his role in the Republican Party, uh, was active with the Lincoln Project. Uh, Michael, very glad to have you with us. Uh, at following Congresswoman Cheney's primary loss, I'm curious what you see as her most effective role. Should she run for president? Should she start an outside group? Where would she be effective, in your opinion? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. really appreciate being back with you guys at Bloomberg. Um, as they say, she got options. <laughs> she, she is a, a, um, a woman political actor who will set whatever course she wants. Um, and it is still rather befuddling to me uh, the rationale inside the GOP that thought that it, the wiser move would be A, to uh, strip her of her leadership and B, kick her out of part out of the party and then see unseat her from her congressional seat. Um, she is someone who has been consistent, has amassed um, an amazing cross section of voters around the country. Now, whether that translates uh, favorably in a presidential bid, a lot remains to be seen on that. But in the short term, she can be an excruciatingly painful um, pain in the side. <laughs> well, or, do you? 
for Republicans, especially Trump. Do you really think that uh, the House Republican conference could have kept her in the fold, given you know her activity with the January 6th committee? Was there really an option to, uh, sure. I guess, there's, mend the fences with her? Yeah, there's always an option. Uh, leadership, you know, look, I, I can tell you as a county, state, and national chairman, you always have options with with candidates and 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 elected officials who don't necessarily, uh, you know, ride the in the car the way you like them to, uh, they keep sticking their head out the out the window and screaming, you know, roll up the window. I mean, their options lock the window. Um, that's my point. And 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 the fact of the matter is, uh, the leadership didn't do that because they were more driven by what Trump's desires were, not what was in the best interest of the party. Um, and and so from my perspective, um, you know, Liz did what she had to do because she wasn't getting the kind of leadership and cooperation to push back against the the big lie. The leadership stood there and basically after January 7th said, oh, okay, well, we'll just look at this as, you know, another day. At the And it was, the concern was different than that. Well, I'm um, curious so then, What's her to do what she did? So, well, I'm curious what you make of the the other news today uh, at this politics and eggs event in New Hampshire when former Vice President Mike Pence said he'd consider appearing before the January sixth committee if he is asked by the committee to do so. Uh, would that what kind of escalation would that be? Would that take the former Vice President from someone who uh, obviously doesn't have a good relationship with Trump and put him firmly in the anti-Trump camp, or what would that mean? You know, first off, you know, I'm a little bit bored with the anti-Trump stuff. Trump is the outlier here. I don't know why we keep treating him like he's somehow a normal fixture in American politics. He isn't. He's the outlier. So from that standpoint, his vice president, um, seemingly at least interested uh, after, you know, nearly getting killed, <laughs> on January 6th, wanting to testify about, uh, about that. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, it does matter, particularly given how loyal uh, the vice president has been to Trump, how much he safeguarded that relationship, even though Trump clearly didn't care about it, as evidenced uh, from what we've seen from uh, the January 6th committee and, and members of the of the administration who testified about uh, how the president viewed uh, the vice president's role that day. So, so, yeah, it's a big deal if, if he decides to do it. Um, and that, But that remains to be seen if he does actually pull the trigger. Well, then on the other side, I'm curious, because you ended up endorsing Joe Biden in 2020. Do you think he should run again? Is he the, the strongest Democrat in the field? I, I have no say on who the Democrats will put out there. Um, I'm not supporting Donald Trump. I'm hoping that the Republicans will, will get their collective uh, census together and nominate a, a, a strong conservative candidate to run for the presidency. If, you know, I was very clear, if our nominee had been Vice President Pence, there would not have been any endorsement of Joe Biden. Um, so if the vice president can make his way through the primaries, that's 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 a good thing for the party. If if uh, Liz Cheney or or Larry Hogan or Charlie Baker or any number of highly qualified uh, non sycophantic Republicans um, can can uh, you know break this 
Trumpy and fever um, and get through the primary, they would be um, formidable, uh, likely uh, successful candidates for the presidency. Well, um, but until the party shows it's ready to do that, you know. Let me ask you real are. quick, where does DeSantis fall in that conversation? Uh, uh, Got to wait and see what he, what he can deliver. <laughs> I'm not impressed with what I've seen and how he's handled some things. Again, uh, I don't need I don't need I don't need to prove to Trump that I'm a Republican. Right. Um, what you need to prove is to the American people. Michael Steele, thank you so much for joining us, former RNC chairman. We'll go back to the panel coming up. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. What happened to acceptance and concession speeches in American politics? You heard Liz Cheney's concession speech last night in which she really didn't concede the main point, at least to her, which is her fight against former President Donald Trump's role in American politics. Let's listen to her opponent who won the House primary Harriet Hageman, uh, to see how her victory speech compared last night. Wyoming has spoken on behalf of everyone who is concerned that the game is becoming more and more rigged against them. And what Wyoming has shown today is that while it may not be easy, we can dislodge entrenched politicians who believe they've risen above the people they are supposed to represent and serve. So the fight continues on both sides, in a sense. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg Government, stepping in today for Joe Matthew. Let's go to the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano. Uh, Rick, I'm curious about the word rigged that was an emphasis of the uh, the Republican primary victor's speech last night in Wyoming. Uh, what is she getting at by by talking about her appeal to people who feel that the system is rigged against them? Well, I think these are just talking points coming out of Mar-a-Lago as to how she got the Trump uh, nod for the um, uh, for her campaign and, and, frankly, the fundamental issue that she ran on. I mean, she's just aping Donald Trump talking points, and, and that's why 
she was able to get the support and the money uh, to uh, wage this campaign against uh, against Liz Cheney. So, I mean, that's just more of the same. You, you expect to hear the exact same thing when she she wins her seat and she comes to Washington. It's whatever the talking points are going to be going to going to be saying them. And it it seems to me that's a reference to 2020 genie. I, I mean, am I reading into this too much? It rigged. The, it seems that uh, denying the outcome of the 2020 presidential election is a, a key point in congressional Republican primaries at this point. Genie, am I am, or am I reaching there? No, I mean, you, we look at the Republican ballot and it is full of these election deniers from, you know, attorney generals to secretaries of states to gubernatorial candidates, House and senatorial candidates. So this is a re- reality of Republican politics today. They're on the ballot for 2022. And of course, she has now committed with this great task pack to ensuring or trying to use her money and her sway to make sure voters don't support them. I think in the short term, it is an uphill battle for Liz Cheney. But clearly, as usual, Liz Cheney has decided she's willing to lose a battle to win a longer term war that she thinks is critically important. And she's putting her name, her job, her money and everything everything else, her reputation behind this. What, Jeannie, do you think is the idea behind a possible Liz Cheney presidential run? Would she be running to win? Would she be running to uh, try to focus on certain states to take those away from Trump if he runs again? What What's the strategy in that idea? You know, somebody described it as, you know, one of the very rare, serious presidential campaigns. If it happens, that's a kamikaze mission, because at this point, she'd have very little chance of actually winning. What she would be doing, to your point, is stopping Trump. But there's so many hurdles she would face along that path. You know, if she's going to run as a Republican, which we assume if she decides to, she would, that would, of course, raise all kinds of questions. She's faced serious security threats already. Imagine if she announces for the presidency. Could the GOP somehow keep her off the ballot, deny her a place on the stage because in debates she refuses to endorse their nominee if Trump's nominated? I mean, these are big challenges she would face. So to your point, I think she could run to stop him. It would be an uphill battle. Very little chance she'd get the nomination unless things change in the next couple years dramatically in the Republican base. Uh, Rick, we covered some interesting ground with Michael Steele in the last segment, uh, the former RNC chairman. He he didn't quite like my amount of focus on the, the phrase anti-Trump in the context of the Republican primaries, and he used the word outlier. It may be the case that former President Trump was a, a pretty unpopular president in national polls fairly consistently, but is there any reality to the idea that uh, Trump is anything but the dominant figure in Republican politics right now? Yeah, Jack, I was interested by your conversation with him because uh, you can't call Donald Trump an outlier. He is the core of this party. I mean, you can be unhappy with the status of the Republican Party these days, and you can be hopeful that there are leaders coming up through the ranks who can take it to a different place. But Donald Trump owns the Republican Party, almost lock, stock and barrel. We've seen it with his influence with primary wins when he backs people like Harriet Hageman against Liz Cheney. Uh, Liz Cheney won 70 percent of the vote two years ago, uh, and she lost by almost that much this time. So it's Donald Trump's GOP, whether we like it or not. And, and I think the focus needs to be on, OK, how do we change that? What, what then do you see as the role of Ron DeSantis in the Republican Party? I, you know, I had to ask uh, Michael about that. DeSantis seems to not be a palatable option for the people who have turned against Trump 
in the Republican Party. Uh, if if DeSantis runs, is there the same amount of division in the Republican Party, Rick? You know, it, 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 maybe he's a transitional figure, right? I mean, nothing changes overnight in politics. And so, um, you know, maybe uh, DeSantis becomes a person who is maybe just a little less crazy than Donald Trump, but uh, more mainstream, you know, stream Republicans get on board. Who knows? I mean, uh, again, part of that's going to depend upon what cost uh, to DeSantis having Trump not run or getting his blessing. Uh, we've seen Republicans turn themselves into pretzels um, trying to get Donald Trump to not say bad things about them, which is basically an endorsement. And so does DeSantis believe that he needs to have that done at some point in time in order to ensure a nomination? Or does he think he's powerful enough to get that vote that's Trump supporters um, without having to kowtow to Donald Trump? That it, This is going to be an interesting thing to see because that relationship seems already strained between Governor DeSantis and former President Trump. And let's talk about Mike Pence again, uh, Jeannie. What do you think would be the significance if Pence does, in fact, end up appearing or, or complying in some way with the congressional January 6th committee? I, you know, that would just be, uh, you know, s certainly earth shattering in my view if we heard that Mike Pence was going to change his mind and agree to participate. And so I was stunned when I heard him say what he had to say today. But as you listen very closely to his words, um, you know, I'm not so sure he has actually changed his mind. He said he would consider it, but, and then there was an incredibly long explanation, very wordy, which seemed to suggest that everything before that but was a lie. So I'm not so sure he's changed his mind. He got some news coverage off of it, but I, I don't see him agreeing to participate at this point. Yeah, he talked a bit about how it would be unusual for a former vice president to be called before Congress. I, I think it's fair to point out January 6, 2021 was pretty unusual. There's not that much historic precedent for people overrunning the Capitol. Uh, Rick, is it, it, would it be that unusual or am I overlooking some, um, some code in which the former president is not supposed to be called before this kind of committee? Well, I, I, I'm sadly old enough to remember there are vice presidents who have gotten themselves in a lot of trouble like Spiro Agnew. So right. there, there is not a, uh, a precedent on this. You're right. I mean, but he's not vice president anymore, right? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we've seen is that um, when you're out of office, you're out of office. And it's admirable that he still, uh, as he said in his statement, you know, will uphold his oath of office. Uh, but he doesn't have that office anymore. He's a private citizen. And, and he is responsible for the powers of our, of our Congress. I mean, we've seen all these very strange things happening, as you say, around an incredibly strange and divisive event. I mean, when was the last time we saw the FBI search a president, former president's home? So uh, I think he needs to get with the new reality, which is this isn't going away and he needs to be cooperative. One other pretty significant piece of news in terms of what the Republican Party looks like uh, came from Alaska last night, or at least we're waiting for some more news. I'm very interested uh, in the Senate race. This is going to be a Republican on Republican general election. Lisa Murkowski, the incumbent senator, and her uh, opponent, Kelly Chewbacca, uh, who's the Trump-supported figure, both going into the general election. Uh, Rick, how does this work? If you've got two Republicans, Murkowski considered more of the moderate, uh, how, how does that play out in Alaska when we go to the general election? You know, it's it's part of a facet of this system that Alaska has adopted to go through their elections, rank order voting. And 
Look, I mean, I, I would think she'll do well. She's still popular amongst a certain segment of, of Republican voters and overwhelmingly popular amongst independents and, and Democrats. And so um, uh, will there be criticism that uh, she gets elected, not in small part because Democrats voted for her? Sure. But she's coalescing with Republicans. I mean, why would anybody argue about having another Republican in the United States Senate? Uh, it's the only kind of thing, Republican on Republican crime. So we'll wait to see how this all works out. It's going to be very fascinating. But I would think this uh, process actually nerves to the benefit of Lisa Murkowski. I, I think that is probably safe to say. And remember that Senator Murkowski has won even in stranger ways. She's the one who ran the uh, write-in campaign successfully for the Senate after losing her primary uh, in one of her early, uh, earlier elections. That's it for us today. Thank you again to our uh, guests, Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, Michael Steele, former RNC chairman, turned, uh, maybe he doesn't want me to say anti-Trump, but critical of Trump, certainly, Rick Davis, Jeannie Shianzano, key points today. Good discussion. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.